Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. Election day seems to be going on forever. We're all waiting and waiting and waiting to see the outcome of what happens in America for the next four years, whether this narrative of authoritarianism or democracy will work itself out. Uh, We've, of course, had many shows on this subject uh, over the last few months. We've had a number of shows uh, talking about whether or not uh, America is uh, fascist and and what the nature of tyranny and authoritarianism is. We've had uh, Frederick Finkelstein on a couple of times, Anne Applebaum, Tim Schneider. We even had uh, Victoria de Grazia, who who wrote a really interesting book called The Perfect Fascist, a book about... uh, an early uh, Mussolini uh, Italy fascist who was indeed perfect in in the most imperfect of ways, I guess. Um, But this issue of whether or not America could, is prone to fascism is, of course, ongoing, and it's as relevant perhaps today as it's ever been. Uh, So today we have a new conversation on fascism with uh, Matt McWilliams, a uh, really interesting and important new book. Uh, Matt, where do you stand on this? Um, some people argue, and I've actually had Madeleine Albright on the show too, who believes in this idea of fascism. Other people say that America is just different and that the fascist experience and the fascist danger, the fascist threat never existed and can never exist in America. Where do you stand on this and where does on fascism stand? Well, first, thanks for having me on your show, Andrew. And I stand with Madeleine Albright, and I think that's a good place to be, that uh, the, the the notion that fascism can't exist in America is really uh, grounded in American exceptionalism. And that's the excuse we use to deny our history uh, and to not deny the fascist moments that, we've, that have occurred in the past in American history and how close we've come uh, to very, very bad outcomes. Um, so fascism is there. It's possible. Uh, it's something we need to address. Uh, and it's something we need to be wary of. And if the last four years hasn't shown that, I don't know what uh, can. Matt, um, the, the subtitle of your book is 12 Lessons from American History. And as you say, uh, it, it's a book uh, arguing against the idea of American exceptionalism. Isn't there something, though, exceptional about this kind of book that you, you need to argue against American exceptionalism? Why, why would you bother to do that? It's obvious that America is no different from any other country, isn't it? Well, I think it's, you know, when I'm in Europe, it's it's uh, it's obvious to people in Europe, but I, I don't think it's part uh, obvious to many Americans. There's this fairy tale that we're told uh, and taught growing up. Um, And it's the fairy tale that says we are unique, uh, that we are exceptional, exceptional, and that we are different. Um, And, you know, I I, I come down 
on it this way. We have exceptional founding documents, the Constitution Declaration of Independence, time-bound but exceptional. Exceptional in the sense that it's remarkable or different from anything else? I, well, it's foundational to so many other constitutions around the world. Uh, and exceptional also because of the aspirations in the Declaration of Independence. You know, certainly all men, men are created equal, uh, was bound to white men, but the aspiration was to more. And has, throughout our history, we've tried to include more and worked, strove to include more. So, you know, I, the way I see it, each generation of Americans is tested on these aspirations. Uh, and either we live up to them or we don't. Uh, so we're not exceptional people, but we have an exceptional opportunity uh, to form a more perfect union. And that's what we have to do. The book looks at uh, instances where mm. uh, our dirty laundry was hanging out and our fascist tendencies or authoritarian tendencies um, were uh, in uh, uh, he hegemonic. Uh, it sounds to me, Matt, like you ideally, at least from an American point of view, want to have your exceptional cake and eat it too. You begin uh, you begin the book, uh, I think, and, and as you say, it's a deeply historical book. Um, it's a short book, but very, very a real good punch to it. Easy to read, really, really uh, strongly advised from my point of view. Uh, I had David Reynolds on the show uh, a couple of months ago. He's written this really fat biography of, Ian, uh, of Abraham Lincoln. Uh, you suggest that the, the foundations of American, if you like, exceptionalism, the, 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 this debate exists between Lincoln and a guy called Roger Taney. Not everyone will know who Taney is. And, and what's this contrast between Abraham Lincoln and Taney? Well, it, it's Taney and Stephen Douglas. Uh, Taney was the chief justice of the Supreme Court uh, and wrote the, uh, authored uh, probably the worst decision ever in Supreme Court history, and that's saying a lot. And that was the Dred Scott decision. Uh, and Dred Scott uh, said that uh, African-Americans, Blacks in this country were inferior beings. Uh, it threw out the Missouri Compromise, which meant slavery could go across the country. Uh, and it, it was it's a racist text. Well, well, Matt, let's get back to this issue of, of fascism because your book's called on fascism. So I, I think this is a legitimate question. Um, you know, describing fascism in the 19th century before anyone even invented the term seems a little odd. I mean, there've been racists throughout history, but fascism itself is an entirely different system. It certainly contains racism, but perhaps in some ways racism isn't even central to fascism. Why, why use this word? Well, I, I go back to sort of the core of what I consider fascism, hostile sexism, racism, ethnocentrism, all the... But aren't you just picking a whole bundle of things you don't like and then using this word fascism? Uh, Orwell warned us in his, in his essay on, um, on the English language that a word like fascism has lost any meaning because people just use it to describe things they don't like. Well, I take it to authoritarianism as that uh, uh, basic root of all those isms, including fascism, though they all travel together, they're fellow travelers. And that authoritarian- What do you mean that fellow travelers? Well, they, if you're looking at them statistically, uh, they are highly correlated. Um, racism- Statistically, um, you mean they're like, if you're a racist, you're likely to be an authoritarian? 
Well, if you're uh, people who study authoritarianism the way I do, think that authoritarianism is the taproot of these other isms uh, and that they're highly correlated, which means if you are a hostile sexist, you're also likely to be racist. You're also likely to have ethnocentric te uh, tendencies. And in the extreme, uh, if you're an activated authoritarian, uh, you what will you then- mean activated authoritarian? You mean- Well, activation and authoritarian- Someone presses a button on you? Yeah, this goes back to um, uh, Eric Fromm's book, uh, Escape from Freedom. Uh, Eric Fromm, Frankfurt School, uh, 1930s <clears throat> in Germany. Frankfurt School had to get out of Frankfurt, Germany because the Nazis were there. Escape from Freedom talks about what activated people to uh, to join a fascist state, to become Nazis. And his uh, concept was it was fear, that fear was the activating lever that allowed people to choose. Uh, their authoritarian tendencies were activated, and they then chose uh, fear over freedom. Are you suggesting that everyone who's fearful is a fascist? No, but... Those who are authoritarian on a scale, and we have a series of questions that have been used since 1992 in this in the United States uh, to identify where your disposition is towards authoritarianism. And the higher you are up in that authoritarian scale, the more likely you are to be hypervigilant. And if you're made afraid, the more likely you are to take action. Support for this podcast comes from W.W. Norton the independent and employee-owned publisher of The Light Ages, the surprising story of medieval science. In The Light Ages, Cambridge science historian Seb Falk takes us on a tour of the scientific and technological achievements of the Middle Ages through the eyes of one 14th century monk. An enlightening history the Light Ages by Seb Falk argues that these times weren't so dark after all. Available wherever books are sold. Matt, your book is, uh, as I said, a, a, a series of essays, historical essays about uh, 12 lessons from American history where you argue that fascism confronted um, the good guys. Lead me through some of these lessons. What are the key ones in your book? What are your favorite chapters? Well, um, you had some of them up there. I, the one I love to start with uh, is the uh, Alien and Sedition Act of 1798. It was seven years after the Bill of Rights was passed. Uh, Madison passed the Bill of Rights. And within it, obviously, was the freedom of speech. Uh, the Federalists were losing power. Uh, about to lose power, worried they're going to lose power to the Democratic Republicans, Madison and Jefferson, as they passed the Alien and Sedition Act, which made freedom of speech illegal. Uh, uh, and this was just seven years after uh, the First Amendment, the Bill of Rights was passed. And um, it made criticizing the president uh, an illegal act. Uh, so uh, Several uh, Jeffersonian uh, Jeffersonians were put on trial and convicted of criticizing the president. You can no longer criticize the president or the uh, government. And one of my favorites, I'll, I'll pull out his quote because I always love his quote and I want to get it right. 
This guy named Thomas Cooper was newspaper editor who Jefferson called greatest man in America. Uh, in a trial, he testified and said this, I know that in England, the king can do no wrong, but he did not know till now that the president of the United States had the same attribute. So here we have this tendency, you're about to lose power. And so what you try to do is seize power uh, and you put your political enemies in jail uh, instead of having a democratic discourse with them. So that to me is, is really uh, an interesting one to start out off with. Um, and then we'll go to, if you want to hear another one, I want to make sure I get these always right. Uh, the one I really want to, I would love to focus on because it's the one that turns my stomach <laughs> the most. Uh, and that was uh, lynching in the United States. I think everyone knows at some level uh, that there is a history of lynching in this country. Uh, but when you really look at it, the extent of it, both geographic and numerically, is shocking. Uh, there were 4,742 Americans that we know, uh, 1882 to 1968, murdered by lynching. Uh, and this is not, these are not private affairs. Many of these are. What do you think, the, the, you know, and I don't think anyone would ever dare come on this show, even even people on the, on the right in America would dare come on this show and, and defend lynching in any way. Um, but uh, what, what do you think the main lesson of your lynching chapter is? Well, it is they won't defend it, uh, but they also won't pass a federal bill to make it a crime. And since 18... What's a crime? I mean, lyn lynching is a crime, isn't it? It's not a federal crime. crime. So you mean if you string up uh, some, somebody of a different color and you, you kill them, it's not a federal it, crime? It would be a state crime, but the reason it kept going on from 1882 to 1968 is that states looked the other way, and the federal government never, never intervened. And till this day, in Mitch McConnell's desk today, sits an anti-lynching act passed by the House, it's not going to be approved. But it was approved in 2018, but then the House didn't do it. So are you suggesting that the McConnell and some of the Republicans have a, 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 a secret affection for lynching? Why are they not acting on this? No, I'm, I'm, uh, what I'm suggesting is they do not want to confront history. And that is one of the things we need to do. And that's what this book does. It makes us confront our history. We had Carol Anderson on the show, uh, whose work I'm sure you're familiar with, yeah. uh, Matt, who has argued, and I've talked about, I've talked about this with her, both publicly and privately, that uh, the, the problem with America, and particularly its history of slavery, is they haven't had any kind of denazification education or process or even acknowledgement. Is that fair? Would you agree with Carol? Yeah, that's really the uh, one of the key parts of my book, that the only way we move forward and progress as a country and move past uh, lynching and this history of violence is by confronting it. Um, and we must confront it. We must look at it. And, it, you know, if you look at what Trump was it doing. Is, very well, and we'll get to your, uh, your, your, your solutions later. But you know as well as I do that this isn't painful for the liberal class, but it is deeply painful for people in Republican states in the South so it's almost a punishment you're imposing. Why do it? Uh, I don't think it's a punishment because it's not just uh, in the South. Lynching occurred across all but four states. 
Um, yeah, it's true. And actually, we, we also had a show about the kidnapping club, uh, Ida Wells, about um, uh, about uh, the, the the experience of kidnapping African-Americans in New York in the 19th century. Let's fast forward, Matt. I can't resist because, I, um, you know, obviously there's one character behind this book. You wrote this book on fascism, 12 Lessons from American History, because of a certain Donald Trump. Um, is Trump a fascist in your mind? Um, he's not uh, a fascist yet by the classic definition of it, but he is the head of a fascist social and political movement. And I would, uh, you know, I'm in, I think, good company there. Jason Stanley of Yale talks about that. But we you know we still do not have, and we won't have because I think he's going to lose, state management of the economy. But he uses the fascist playbook, the fascist political tactics, uh, and he's used them to other fascist people. In, uh, in, in the 20th century European context or the way in which you define fascism in American history? Uh, fascist in terms of the 20th century context, disinformation, propaganda, gaslighting. So you're on you're in the the Snyder Applebaum camp on uh, Apple, well the Snyder um, uh, the Snyder camp when it comes to fascism. Yeah, we're not. He's not leading a fascist. Matt Albright, Matt Albright. Yeah, he's not leading a fashion fascist government yet. He's leading a hollowed out American government or de democratic government similar to Viktor Orban's. In not there yet, but heading that way. And if he hadn't lost, that's where we would be. Uh, but he's using fascist political tactics to build power, galvanize power. Matt, we had uh, last week um, David Rothkopf on the show, uh, the author of Traitor, who right. argued that Trump is a traitor. And I thought with Rothkopf, he was essentially arguing that Trump's uh, Trump, by definition, was against the American idea. Perhaps that makes Rothkopf an exceptionalist. Do you see Trump as a traitor? Are you in the Rothkopf camp with, when it comes to that? A traitor to the Constitution, to the principles of whatever it means to be an American? And this is particularly ironic given his own xenophobia and trading on Americanness. I, I, I consider him a democratic assassin. Uh, he's you mean an assassin of democracy, assassin of democracy. And I'm using Levitsky's uh, term there. He's using the tools of democracy to hollow it out for a fascist kleptocracy. That's how I would, what will turn into a fascist kleptocracy. Uh, so does he deserve to be treated like a traitor if he loses indeed today? Should he go to jail? Should he be thrown out of the country? Uh, I, I think that he deserves to be uh, prosecuted. Uh, if he's violated the law, he needs to be prosecuted. And I think there are probably uh, several areas of possible indictment that the Southern District of New York is looking at. Many, Some of these occurred before he was president. His actions as president, I think, are harder to, I, I don't know if they rise to the level of an indictable or criminal offense. Matt, we also had we had we've had so many people on this show talking about similar. Yeah, you really have. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not. I guess this is a form of self promotion. Maybe I'm really secretly Trump in disguise. Uh, we had <laughs> Carlos Lazada on the show, the, the the book critic of the Washington Post, who's written this marvelous book, "What We Were Thinking," which was what he calls a brief intellectual history of the Trump era, in which he writes about all the different books about 
Trump. What did the writing of on fascism teach you about Trump's America? Uh, it, it it taught me less about Trump's America and more about American history that I found. Uh, it, it's things that I should have known. I, and I do a lot of reading, but there are things I should have known. And I question why I don't know them. And I think it's because that history has been obscured. And and if you look in, in Trump's, uh, Trump's 1776 commission, the executive order to whitewash and sanitize history, there is this... Uh, in uh, his uh, diversity executive order, where anti when racism is being anti-racist policies policies being called racist, it's trying to obscure what's there so we don't think about it. Mm. Uh, and I learned about some, you know, Ida B. Wells I knew about, but I didn't, I hadn't read what she'd written on. Yeah, day. we had a we had a show also about Ida B. Wells. Oh, God, uh, that was and 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 also you know not to. Uh, one woman and that and the, and the history of uh, uh african-american the female struggle for the vote is is really inspiring um matt you end the book with uh 10 steps to strengthen america and i've cheated a bit i put them in a list <laughs> um and whilst i'm not against any of these I i'm wondering how realistic are, are any of them? And certainly all of them together. They seem obvious, and but they're so hard to actually achieve. Well, you know what I, I find... Actually, so very briefly, I mean, these steps, political equality, equality of opportunity, economic inequality, uh, economic equality, blah, blah. Is there one or two in particular that you think are essential? Well, the first five I put is one group. Uh, and those are Madison. That comes. Yeah, from and Madison you go back Turner. to the Constitution. I, I appreciate that. But yeah. it, uh, and you know, uh, this idea of othering each other. I mean, as humans, don't we other each other? That seems a tricky one. Uh, yeah, but the level of it at this moment is uh, driving division and polarization in this country in a way that we can't get the civil discourse. So first, I put Madison in there because. Madison said a democracy could not exist without these. But then the three I'd add to it are we need to start another three. So we've got 13 now. No, no, those those first five of uh, oh, okay. Madison I put as one. Got first five, and then we got. Then we go. We're going to stop othering each other uh, yeah. because fear mongering drives division. Uh, I'm not going to other you, Matt, anymore. <laughs> and we got to confront and make peace with our history. Um, when they're open ever uh, let me ask you this what you, you travel a lot what country has ever confronted and made peace with its history perhaps the germans but then germany, so germany is a perfect example yeah but it's a it's an imperfect example because their history is so terrible and they were forced to i mean even the japanese haven't done that well uh, I, your, your final one's an interesting one uh, matt uh remember that we are all in this together we hear yeah. all that uh, this is sort of the ultimate cliche truism um on the television today oh we all got to come together i'm sure biden will say that once he might have taken a step further his election uh, is confirmed but let, let me go back with we had david french on the on the show when he took uh you know the the conservative who wrote who's written this book called divided we fall is it really possible for americans who live in such different worlds from arkansas and alabama and new york and california you're in baltimore we live in entirely foreign, political, cultural, economic 
realms. Can we really come together and how are we going to do it? Yes, I think we can. Not perfectly, but I think we can. And in this, we need to remember we're all in this together. We do that by taking a real step. And that's compulsory civil service. Uh, a year in the military or a year serving the country. So that I have to do it. Don Jr. has to do it. We all have to do it. And in World War II, Jared. Jared's got to do it. Yeah, because it changes your perspective when you're working with other people who you have never met before. It changes how you view the world. And it also says, you know, you want to say you're an American, well, then give back. So compulsory service, everyone in. And also, I'd say for senior citizens, as I'm heading to that way, when you retire, real opportunities uh, to uh, work in society to give back to society. But first, you come out of uh, college or high school, one-year service. I, I think that would create a more level playing field and a more ability for people to talk to each other because they'd have... Uh, I tend to agree. And perhaps the, you know, the one institution where, where the othering and all the inequalities and problems in America are at least evident is the American military because... Yeah. Uh, perhaps it's a subject for another show, Matt, but I, I, I don't disagree with that. I think you're absolutely on the right track. Um, you're in Baltimore, as I said, this wonderful book on fascism. Easy, quick, smart read, good history lessons, strongly polemical. I think most people will agree with your lessons. Wonderful cover as well and a lovely title. Everyone should read it, Matt. But you're in Baltimore in these strange strange afternoon when we're waiting for Biden, perhaps, hopefully, Touchwood to be confirmed as president. Um, what else should people be reading in these strange times? And of course, COVID, which we today we seem to have forgotten about, but tomorrow we'll wake up and remember. Yeah, I think a book that I've now gone through three times and I refer to all the time is How Democracies Die, because it talks specifically about the conditions that lead by Levitsky and Zipblatt. Yeah. Uh, the conditions that lead to democracies being hollowed out. They talk about the electoral route to authoritarianism, and that's where I... Uh, and they talk about democracies, assassins working on the inside. Uh, and they give examples where elites or gatekeepers made decisions to either bring in uh, an authoritarian, which could become a fascist party, or not. Uh, so they have cases where... Uh, a group said no uh, in, in countries, and uh, the uh, authoritarian party was marginalized in cases where they didn't. And Republican parties did not say no to the Trumpists, brought them in, and look what's happened. You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.